everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Wonder Soul Show. If you've ever really loved one of the episodes or if you love this episode, it would mean so much to me if you could go and review, rate, and subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you consume the show. It really helps a lot of other people find the show and it would mean so much to me if you could do that. And hopefully you gain so much amazingness out of this episode and be aware that at the end there is kind of some bloopers where Stephanos, uh, her husband who's been on the show as well, makes an appearance with baby Athena and they are so adorable. Enjoy the show. Yes. What would you say you are world-class at? So we all have mm-hmm. like our certain talents and our, our knacks for things. Mm-hmm. And then of course we have aspects of our personality like, wow, we must hire people to fill these gaps mm-hmm. or we have to find like partners that fill these gaps. Mm-hmm. But what would you say you are world-class at? Coaching. <laughs> More, more specifically, really helping people get to, get to the root. Like really helping people get to the root of what the block is, what the issue is, connecting dots, creating that aha moment from pe- for people, and doing it in a judgment-free, compassionate way. Uh, that's totally my zone of genius, and I love it. And I've been doing it a long time. So yeah, what are some common things that you've noticed over time, coaching people over 20 years, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. that are the most fundamental ways that people don't allow as much flow in their life? Or Mm. what are the ways that they could allow more of that flow that you were talking about before in their life? Well, really, it just comes down to unprocessed stuff. We all have things that hurt. We all do. It doesn't matter, even if you had the quote unquote, the perfect childhood, there are things in your life that have been hard. And most of us, when we're growing up, or even when we're adolescents, even when we're grownups, we don't have tools for how to deal with the hard stuff. So we stuff it away, we suppress it, we numb it, we come up with all these ineffective coping strategies. And what that does is it just creates a lot of clutter in our consciousness. And it dissociates us from who we can truly be because we're so invested in keeping the suppression and repression and mass going that we think we need to wear in order to be loved or accepted or validated or whatever it is. So one thing that I often say is that so many of my clients come to me and they tell me all the things they want in their life, but they spend way more time and energy avoiding the things they don't want. So we all have our patterns of protection. We all have the ways we keep ourselves safe. And that makes us play small in so many ways. And so the, the blocks that we create, we're not blocking ourselves because we don't want to be successful or have our dreams. We're blocking ourselves because we're scared. We don't think we're worthy. We don't think we're deserving. We think if we get something that we truly desire, we may lose it. And at, at the root of you know every human being that I've come across with, there's some kind of I'm not enough. I'm not deserving. There's something wrong with me. I'm unlovable story. And we have to unpack that so that we don't, so we stop sabotaging our lives. And even I want to, I want to break apart that word sabotage because it's a word that's used often in the coping, coaching industry. So you have to forgive me. I'm getting over a terrible cold and sinus infection. So I'm like bumbling through getting the words out. Um, but that word sabotage, it's no one wakes up. And it's like, oh, I'm going to sabotage my relationship. I'm going to sabotage my finances. I'm going to sabotage my job. It's not really that. It's a pattern of protection. So anytime we quote unquote sabotage something, we really think there's a part of us that thinks we're protecting ourselves. So let's take the example of a relationship. Someone's in a relationship, it's going really well, starts to get a little more emotionally intimate, a little more serious, they cheat or they start to withdraw or they somehow blow the relationship up. Now, they didn't consciously think, 
oh, I'm going to blow this relationship up. What's happening is there's a part of him that's like, ooh, this is getting really, really close. Am I worthy? Am I deserving of it? Am, am I ready to face the things that this could bring up in me? Oh, I don't think so. So I'm going to run this pattern of protection and blow it up. So when you talk about like what's blocking flow, and I think flow, what that means to me is my life is moving in a way that's in alignment with my consciousness and my highest good. Like I'm not constantly dodging what I call expectation hangovers. I'm not constantly running into blocks. I, I don't feel like a hamster on a wheel where I'm having the same problem over and over and over again. There's momentum in my life. And that's really our natural state. You know, it really is. But because we have these patterns of protection that come up from undealt with stuff, it's hard to be in that flow energy because we're always like, I have to stop myself or this isn't safe or do I really deserve this? So we're, we're unable to really be in that flow. Is this ever end? Is there ever an <laughs> end easier. to this? Okay, it gets easier gets to easier. discover the layers and shed the layers. Yeah. Is there an end or I, is that infinite? Death. Okay, <laughs> okay. So there's just always more layers. There's always more layers, but here's how I see it. And my last book was called Expectation Hangover, which is how to navigate disappointment and use it as a learning opportunity. An expectation hangover is when things don't go as planned. They do go as planned, but you don't feel like you thought you would. You get that great promotion, but you still don't feel confident or successful. Or life just throws you a massive unexpected curveball. And with work, with personal development, with shifts in consciousness, it's not like you stop being human and you stop having challenges. But the length of time between expectation hangovers gets longer. You have less challenges. And the time you spend suffering and struggling in your challenges gets shorter. Because you just know the tool. So like when stuff comes up in my life versus 20 years ago, it's like I have the tools, I have the support system. I've oh, been here before, know what I need to do, move through it. But it's not like my life is perfect and I never get triggered. Still human, still learning, still evolving, still growing. Wow. Okay. So I know that there was a long period of your life where you were kind of working through so many of these layers. And mm -hmm. I've, I've heard you talk about this on various podcasts and on Instagram and just socials in general. I was wondering if you could kind of build a roadmap, so to speak, because I know that the journey that you've been through is a journey that probably many people could go through. They may not mm -hmm. all, right? Because like you said, like, we'll just keep doing this and until we die. And <laughs> I, I do have a belief that like, if we ever did get through it all and we achieved like true enlightenment, we'd probably burst into butterflies. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. And, and mm. yeah, hopefully beautiful butterflies. Mm. The question would be, would you want to burst into like one type or would you want to have like many types of butterflies mm. or... I guess at that point, you could kind of choose. You could burst into anything. Sparkles, yeah. even. I'd choose butterfly. Sparklers could be cool or yeah. both. Por yeah. que no los dos? Yeah. Yeah. That could be a little, I don't know. The sparklers could really be a threat to the butterflies. True. Do those actually give off heat? I don't know, but I wouldn't want to put my face in one. That's fair. Okay. Anyways, the journey that you've been on has been tremendous, right? And that's shown by just your lifestyle, your partner, the business that you've built, right? The, the many businesses that you've built. Mm. And I'm curious if you could walk us through just a timeline of what you feel like the big layers that you worked through were. So if we went from like 22 years old mm -hmm. and we just started there and we just said like every era of your life, I'm assuming like, you know, it seems like every three to five years for people, 
there's like another era that's uncovered when they're when they're in the space that you're in mm -hmm. when they're really actively gaining that momentum and what's really beautiful about this is if if you're able to and i can kind of walk you through this process if it's if sure. it's challenging to remember but i think if we get from there and we really break that down and we get to modern day through all of that not only will i and the audience get tons of lessons through those eras but once we get to where you are now and what you see in your future, I think there might be some patterns that we uncover in telling this all at once mm. right now. And we can talk about what you're working on now and why you're working on it and how all of these things have built to it. And then also maybe what the future looks like. And we can get like a sneak preview of the wisdom that you're probably going to download onto the world. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got you. I got you. I'm going to hold you through all of this. But let's find like the fundamental wisdoms from sure. each era of like the the depth of mostly business is what i'm I'm curious about okay. is like how your business mindset has evolved over these years yep. and then as it slowly shifted like we were kind of talking about before recording into the era that you're in now yeah and kind of how that's just bubbling inside of you and what you can just yep. go on like a word vomit at that point well i'm thinking back you said 22 so 20 years ago i was working in hollywood working my way up to becoming an agent i was dating a huge hollywood mogul at the time going to all the parties and doing all the things and being very fancy. Um, and I was miserable. I was on antidepressants. I was on anti-anxiety that the person I was dating had a drug and alcohol issue as well. And I was a basket case. I was a duck on water, calm on the outside, pedaling legs underneath. And I would say a, a key lesson that came out of that whole, my early 20s, working in the entertainment industry, losing everything, was that external things don't make you happy. And I'm so glad I had that initiation early in life. Like I reached a level of success by 25 that people hadn't reached at 45. And I had access to so many things. Um, and Why was, do you think you achieved that level of success so young? I was desperately insecure and made up for it by overachieving. Bottom line. Like, so I can look at so many successful people and go, of course they're driven. They're terribly insecure. Their childhood was shit. They had something to prove. Now, I'm not saying success always comes out of wounding. Often it does. And that's why a lot of successful people, it's like a million isn't enough. Then a billion isn't enough. Then a trillion isn't enough. And the jet isn't enough. I need my own island. You know, it just, it's, the bar just keeps being raised because we're trying to compensate for whatever void, wait, insecurity, daddy was never proud of me, mommy abandoned, whatever it was. We're trying to compensate and fill that void through things, through achieving, through being somebody. And as a really insecure kid who was teased and bullied and felt very separate and alone and was a late bloomer and was put on antidepressants when I was 11 or some 10, 11, I dealt with that by being an achiever. And so it was that insecurity and that need, like it was survival. I had to achieve, I had to, because I was no one if I didn't. Now, in this phase, did you meet anyone or see anyone that wasn't like that? Well, the person that really snapped me out of it was my first coach, Mona Miller. And I went to see her. A friend of mine had saw her, and she's like, she's kind of different. She's Because I'd been seeing therapists since I was 10. She's different. She sees you in her home. She wears sweatpants. She's kind of trapped in the 80s in terms of her style and decor. She may sing to you. And I was like, this is kind of weird. Um, but I was having trouble with my boyfriend and wanted to figure that out. And I went and saw her and it was very strange. It was different. 
was different for me because she didn't look at me like she was going to analyze me. She didn't look at me like I was broken. She really just held this amazing space of love and compassion. And she was the person that really embodied true love and non-judgment. And she didn't live like a monk. You know, she had a house and a life and a kid and all those kinds of things. Um, But she was able to show me what it looked like to not care what people thought and not have anything to prove. And that was so foreign to me because I always cared what people thought and I always had something to prove. And what era of life did you shift into as you had this experience? Well, I ended up, you know, I saw her for, for 14 years until she died. And I ended up leaving Hollywood, leaving my job, then had an engagement when my fiance broke up with me, then had all kinds of health issues, um, had an estrangement with my family for a while, and then just had debt and money stuff come up because I went from having an expense account and a salary to being a personal trainer and a hand model, and I wasn't making a lot of money. And I wanted to keep up with my lifestyle because I still was in that proving thing. So in that, um, as I called it then, I didn't coin this term, it's been around for a while, my quarter life crisis of really losing everything that I identified myself with, that's when I got really serious about the internal work because the common denominator and everything was me. And so I must have something to do with everything that was happening. And I, it, it was really in my 20s that I learned how to shift out of victim mindset and why is this happening to me versus what am I learning from this and how am I creating this? And that's when I started to connect the dots that Earth is school. Everything is a lesson. Everything's a learning. Everything in our present day life, not everything, but a lot of things in our present day life challenge-wise give us an opportunity to go back and heal something from a past. And in so many ways, we're constantly playing out the issues from our childhood until we do the work to heal them. And that was my 20s. Wow. At any point during that hard work where you were starting to look internally, were you really tempted to go back? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah? Yeah, because I also made the commitment to get off antidepressants by the time I was 30, Mm. which I did and have been off since. And this isn't a statement against antidepressants or anything like that. I'm just sharing my story. I knew it was important for me because I had written my first book. I wanted to start coaching and I wanted to feel like everything, you know, and I I felt like I don't have a lot of memories from my 20s and stuff because I think I was just sort of numbed out a lot of the time. So I set that intention and I was seeing Mona every week and I started to, I started my first year at the University of Santa Monica where I got my spiritual psychology degree and I ended up getting married by my late 20s and I so there were so many moments where I just wanted to like have two glasses of wine, watch Netflix and not do any of the work anymore because it was a lot. And what I find is once you open the work of consciousness, it's hard to close. Mm. And once you're in, you're in. And there were so many moments where I just didn't want to do it anymore. But what kept me going was one, I just think it's, it's my intelligence. It's who I'm here to be. Like I, my soul really wanted to evolve this lifetime. And two, it was my work. Like I was a coach. I was writing personal development books. I was speaking around the country and around the world at that point. In your late twenties? Uh, probably not internationally yet, but I was speaking at colleges in my twenties and started speaking at corporations right when I turned 30. So yeah. Um, but Mona was amazing at keeping my ego in check. 
And she was amazing at, well, training me, but also making sure that I was walking my talk, Mm. that I wasn't practicing anything I wasn't preaching. That's tough. Like as a coach, from Mona's point of view, and you've got this like very successful, very driven, late 20s, beautiful woman, right? What did she do to help you stay on track without spinning you down like a rabbit hole of feeling like you were off track? Oh, there are times I broke up with her. Oh, okay. Where I was so like, you seeing fuck her. you, I'm going to do what I want. And then it would blow up in my face and I'd come back and be like, you were right. She told me the truth and she loved me, but she told me the truth. And that was so refreshing and so intimidating. And she saw me. She just really saw me because she'd done the work to see herself. Mm. And she didn't care if her clients liked her or not. She didn't care about pissing us off. Let's say today there was a moment where you wanted to have two glasses of wine and Netflix and chill instead of dealing with some internal issue with yourself. Uh Based on what you learned back then and everything you've Uh amalgamated up to now, Uh what would be your go-to like top three things you might do instead? Well, I'd have one glass of wine because if two, I'd have a terrible headache. Even one is tricky for me. I'd let myself have that one glass of wine and watch Netflix. And I'd tell that part of me that has something to process and make a date with it. Like, we're not ready now. We just need to veg. We're going to do this on Thursday. We're going to carve out some time and we're going we're gonna to work on this then. So I've also learned not to force something. To know that if there's a part of me that's really craving, not to zone out, but just have a pause to not roll up my sleeves and dig deep into something because I think we've got to be in the right space to open up to that as well. Otherwise, we're just forcing something. And so that's what I would do. If I really needed that glass of wine and Netflix, I would do that. Now, I wouldn't do that two, three, four nights in a row. I'd make that date and I'd hold that commitment and I'd show up for the work. What does that look like for you now with a young baby? Like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Like I'm assuming there's a lot of things that come up, right? This yeah. is a whole new this is a whole new era yeah. of life that you're in right now and it would be like constant dates with yourself, I presume. Yeah, there's a lot that comes up and it's I don't know if it's my personality from what I've talked to from my friends that are mothers, this is a very common thing. I, you know, you hear the mother, you hear the word sacrifice a lot with mothers and that's not the word for me. For me the word is devotion. I have never really embodied or understood true devotion until having Athena. I'm so devoted to her. She's my scrubbing the floors of an ashram. And it's not like I'm putting myself last in a self-sacrificing, martyring kind of way. But my needs aren't the priority right now. Now, I have learned that I've got to watch that too. Because when my self-care isn't great... And I'm trying to be everything to her. That, that actually impacts my ability to be her mom. You know, I had a lot of guilt, especially in the beginning of having help, having anyone look after her. I had a pretty intense kind of traumatic. I'm looking over there because that's where I gave birth. <laughs> traumatic birth. And I needed some help, especially at night. And I had a tremendous guilt about that. But I have learned that part of being devoted is knowing what's best for her. And it's the only time in my adult life, I'd say in the last, you know, 15 years where my self-care has just tanked, tanked. I mean, really, 
I've always been someone who's been great about taking care of myself. And it just is not, it's not like I'm, you know, eating Cheetos and, you know, totally abandon any self-care, but there's just, it's just not where my focus is. So when things come up, things come up for me, things come up with Steph and I, I've had to go the fast route. Like I've had to take those moments in the shower and process them, or I've had to call uh, a friend who has a high level of consciousness and could coach me, or I've just had to coach myself. I've had to go for a drive and just talk myself through it. But I don't really have the space to go, you know, hit pillows or cry or take myself through an empty chair process or do a lot of the things that I, or journal, or do a lot of the things that I teach. It's been more like what needs to shift because I need to show up as best I can for my daughter. And I also let it be okay that she sees me have emotions. I let it be okay that she sees me cry. I let it be okay that she sees me get frustrated or upset. And I explain to her what's happening. You know, mommy's sad. It's not your job to make mommy feel better. Mommy's crying right now because she's sad about this. I've even had conversations with her about how I have, you know, mixed feelings about motherhood. You know, I, and this, this, I had tremendous guilt about this too about how I love her so much and I miss my old life. You know, and occasionally I'd have these thoughts of, why did I do this? This is really hard. And then, oh my God, immediate guilt. The universe is going to take her away from me because I'm having these terrible thoughts. And so I've had to let it be okay for all parts of me and all emotions to come up. And I've sat down and, you know, she's only six months old. And I did this when she was probably three months old. And I just said, I love you. And mommy has some grief. Because mommy had this a lot of freedom and this awesome life, and I'm missing part of this, and I love you, and it's really confusing. Like I'm having all these feelings and all these thoughts all at once. And so that's part of my devotion to her is letting her see emotions and letting her, like being honest with her. I think sometimes with kids, we don't respect their level of consciousness. And we don't talk to them in ways that, I mean, obviously she's not going to understand me like an adult, but on a soul level, she gets it. And so I want to respect her and I want to respect her process by sharing what I'm going through and not trying to pretend that I'm okay sometimes when I'm not. I'm so excited to talk to seven-year-old Athena who's already (laughs) speaking like this. She's going to be so used to it by then that she's just going to be like, Skip, you know, it's really interesting when you come over and like, this happens and this happens and the way that I interact and I'm going to be like, whoa, this yeah. is a seven-year-old. Yeah. I mean, she's already very good at communicating her needs. So yeah. And that's one of the gifts I want to give her is teaching her how to communicate her emotions, her needs, how to be with her emotions, how not to suppress them, not to put on masks, you know, and I can only do so much. She has her unique destiny here and she's going to have her challenges and it's going to break my heart. And that's, you know, I'm going to have to let her fall on her face metaphorically and literally a couple times and all of that. Um, But this early motherhood has been an initiation into um, grief of an identity for sure. And also so humbling. I've been good at most things I've tried. And motherhood, sometimes I feel like I'm just fumbling around trying to get it right. You know, it's confronting. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels the stakes feel a lot higher than with the business. You know, and and knowing as much as I do about developmental trauma and psychology and inner child stuff, I'm like, ah. <laughs> it's like walking through a minefield, I right? I know. I'm like, is my nervous system regulated enough? What are you picking up? What am I what am I imprinting on you? Yeah. So it's been a journey and yeah. I loved it. 
it's great to hear that you are thinking that too because mm-hmm. then it's just like there's no pressure on anyone on earth oh my gosh and when steph and i announced our pregnancy people are like oh you're gonna be the best parents i'm like oh don't maybe i'm not <laughs> maybe i'm not and uh i i learned so much in my pregnancy about birth because i was i had a home birth and pregnancy i could have delivered a baby by the time she came I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't really read up on what to do with a newborn, <laughs> like how to deal with a baby. And so once she was here, Steph and I joke about it now. We actually were on a walk yesterday joking about it. Like when we'd be alone with the baby, when we didn't have anyone here helping us or like no one visiting us, we'd be like, uh, <laughs> what do we do? Are we okay? Now that only lasted two weeks or so. We got the hang of it, but it was scary. We were scared to be alone with our newborn. What did you end up filling the time with for, you know, expectant mothers right now? If they were to get the quick download on newborns, what would you do? I'd learn a lot about burping and digestion. I'd learn a lot about that, like how their digestive system works, how to feed them. I'd learn a lot about breastfeeding. I'd have a lactation consultant on hand um, because, you know, thank goodness Athena and I have a great breastfeeding relationship now, but we definitely had our challenges. And... um. I'd also, I mean, those are the basic things like sleep, like learning how to do baby sleep as well. And then, you know, I, I, I read about their consciousness and how to talk to them and things like that. But the basics, like how to burp them, it's not what you think, how often to feed them, breastfeeding stuff and sleep. Got it. Basics. Okay. So now mm-hmm. if we warp back to like early thirties, Christine. Yeah. So... We've been through the fancy dinners, fancy house parties, lots of glamour, external validation. We've been through the totally tearing my life down, trying to figure out like what should remain and what I want to build now. And and what do I really look like when I look in the mirror? And what do I want to look like when I look in the mirror? You know, more from a soul level than a physical level and firing your coach and then rehiring your coach (laughs) and those phases of life. What happens in that, that next phase where you're starting to have that success and you're starting to see that probably the only reason you haven't had it in the past is that you just didn't know what you wanted, but then you you chose a path mm-hmm. and then you allowed that success to happen. What does that phase look like? Well, I was still had one foot in the proving and achieving and one foot in just allowing life to bring me what was most in alignment with with who I am. So I was still battling my ego a little bit. So I was building this career and, you know, I chose a career where I am the brand, where I am in the spotlight. And so it's hard for the ego not to get invested in that. And it's hard not to look at, ooh, how many likes did I get? Or, you know, how many speaking gigs did I get? Or how popular am I in the personal development world? How many books did I sell? So my 30s were really that learning how to build a business based on my values versus what my ego may want. And I was also going, I also got a divorce in my early 30s. So there was a whole personal life unraveling that was happening as well. But one key thing that I, that came out of my 30s was I was always at, you know, business events. I went to all the marketing, mastermind time of type of things, all the Brendan Burchard, all of the things. And I'd go and I'd take a shitload of notes and I'd come back and I'd be like, I don't want to do any of this. I don't want to do any of this. This sucks. I do not want to sit and write a funnel. I do not want to shoot a webinar. No. And so 
I learned how to create success in a way that felt good to me. Let's dig. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll just tell one story and then we can dig. And I doubted that path for a while because I'd be with, you know, friends and internet marketer people and it was all the people I hung out with and they'd be like, I just had $3 million launch. I said, $10 million launch. I said, and I have 50 employees and that. And we were at a dinner table and I'm like, okay, can we get super, can we all make an agreement to get super honest? Because this is a masterminding event. I want to get super honest. I want to go around the table and I want us all to say what we actually put in our pocket. Like after expenses, after everything. And there are eight people at the table. I made the least amount like gross profit wise, but I was there was one person that took home a little more than me, but I was the second person that put the most in my pocket. <clears throat> and what that showed me is the way I'm doing it really works. I don't care about all the bells and the whistles and saying I did a million dollar launch or I have five million employees or all those things. And great, if you want to do that, that's awesome. But I realized I didn't have to go big and do it the way everybody else was doing it in order to be successful. That the way I was going to be successful was going to do things that didn't burn me out. I don't want to manage more than five people. I don't want to do a webinar. I don't want to do a sales funnel. I don't want to understand how Facebook ads work. All that stuff makes me want to put pens in my eyes. It's just like, no. And that was where I really, I, I in my 30s, was constantly like, do I do it the way everyone else is doing it? Or do I do it my way? If I did it this way, maybe I'd have 100,000 followers on Instagram. But what it would take to do that, I'm not really interested in. So it was getting super clear on what's my way that I want to do business versus what's everybody else's way and what's every, what is everybody telling me to do. I've never had a business coach. Never. Because they tell me stuff I don't want to do. I've had tons of coaches that of course have helped me in my business but I've never hired someone to specifically coach me on my business maybe one or two times marketing or something like that and it's never gone well if we dig into that a little bit mm -hmm. what what are the different because I'm unfamiliar with your business but okay. what are the different uh aspects of Christine Hassler well and this was something that many business coaches told me was a problem is that I did too many things. Mm. And I'm like, I've heard I, like, that a few times. I like doing lots of things. All the things that I do really fulfill me. They're like, well, you're, it's hard to place you. It's hard to market you. It's hard. I'm like, well, I like what I'm putting into my pocket. I like the different things that I'm doing. So why do I need to change it and just do one thing? That makes no sense to me. You're fired. So I'm not doing all of this anymore because I've really scaled back my career, mostly because I've had a child. And because I got sick of being on planes as much as I was. So in my 30s, when my business was really building and, and people were starting to get to know who I was, I have written three books. So there's that aspect. I've been a speaker both in the college market, the transformational space market, and the corporate world. So because of my first two books on the 20-something experience, I became an expert in generational diversity, millennials, and I got booked all over the world at that point to speak on generational diversity, millennials, that type of stuff. And then because of my books and because of um, the, the personal development stuff that I did and I have my degree in spiritual psychology, another one in consciousness and healing, 
and I lead a lot of women's retreats, done that for years. Then I have a podcast where I coach people live on the air. Then I have my own online programs that I've done um, and also consulted with businesses and have private clients as well. So it was a lot. Six. The six? Is that six? I think six, I got everything. Minimum. Yeah, I mean, like you're grouping a lot of these things together, but right. at least six. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now, of those six, now that you've got Athena and mm-hmm. like you said, you've you've done more of this essentialism practice for your business and your life, which ones do you see in the future that you're going to to focus on? Well, what we have now that I didn't mention is we have a coaching institute. Seven. Elements of Coaching Institute. So that's a big one that I really want to grow with our partners. I'm my husband and then Alexi Panos and Preston Smiles. We co-founded the Elementum Coaching Institute with them. So that's really big because what I feel is my work now is to train coaches. Um, I've been doing it so long. I love doing it. You asked me earlier. It's my zone of genius. And so I want to, I'm going to impact more people if I can train more people. So that's really in my heart to do. Um, I still speak rarely when I'm asked to and because of the way the world is a lot of it's zoom so I don't have to get on a plane I will always do live events some way or another because I love the in-person I love the in-person stuff um and I love teaching with my husband too that's another thing that we get to we get to co-create together and I always I always leave space for new possibility to come in as well awesome so some speaking but sporadically yeah when you feel called to it Live events, yep. Elementum, and coaching together. And our online programs, yeah. And the online programs. Yeah. But for the most part, you're probably just making the content, right? You're not actually doing a lot of the business back end? No. No, no. I don't even know how to send an email to my list. Okay, so live events, uh-huh. Elementum, coaching with Steph, your online programs where you don't know how to send an email. Correct. And speaking occasionally, mostly on Zoom, ideally, because you don't want to be traveling as much. Right. Got it. Tell me about the live events, because that was the one thing just now that your like eyes really uh, lit up when you talked about yeah. it. That's because we have one coming up. I have one coming up. So uh, my signature women's retreat, I've been teaching it since 2006. Yeah, because I remember calling my ex-husband about it. Um and it was 10 people at this house I rented in Sherman Oaks. And now it's, you know, 100 plus women at a big venue. And I basically have taken most of the work that I've done in my life that has really transformed my life. And I know transforms the lives of others and consolidated it into this weekend. And uh, the reason why it's only for women is because women have a lot of wounding with other women, sister wound type of stuff. And I think it's important for women to gather and heal together both individually and for the collective and there's not a lot of women's events that that I have found that really create a safe space for women I'm all about safety I'm all about like if you're in, if you're an introvert this is not you're going to be okay you're going to be taken care of like we're not going to throw you into the fire and that prevents a lot of women from, from going to events and really being connected to other women and doing the deep work um, they're afraid you know they're too old or they don't look right or that, you know, there won't be people that look like them at the event. And we really, we really are intentional about creating this safe space. Um, and the work that happens at this retreat is like, I mean, I get chills multiple times a day. I feel like just divine guidance and angels and guides are filling the room. 
it's 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 amazing. So that's coming up in October here in Austin, the first weekend in October, and I'm so excited. And I wasn't going to do it again, so I did one in 2020, February 2020. Almost had to cancel it. And no, it was March, first weekend of March. And you know, people were wearing rubber gloves, and anyway, um, we didn't cancel it. I did it, and I thought it was going to be my last one because. Actually, 2020, I was burnt out. Um, I was so grateful for COVID because I had like three international speaking gigs, so much on my plate, and we'd gotten married early. I just was burnt out. So I thought it was going to be my last year, and I was happy with that. But then I had Athena, and I was like, oh, wow, having a daughter has made me even more committed to not helping all people, but specifically women do the inner work because, um, well, for so many reasons, I'll just leave it there. Can you, are you able to pull back the curtain a little bit on what types of things you're doing at an event like this? Yes and no. Cause we don't give an agenda. We don't really say what's happening, but do I will say. Do you have say, an agenda or is it something that shows up oh, in no, the moment? There's a, there's a, a specific arc. So with coaching clients, which I still do, I still have private clients too. I don't know if that was on the list. Um, Um, and Steph and I coach couples, which is really fun. So in my individual work with clients, I don't have an agenda. I don't have a structure. We just work with what presents and what is, and I work very intuitively, but with an event, I, I believe there needs to be an arc. There needs to be a, a process that people go through. So yes, I use my intuition and if something comes in, I'll, I'll go with it, but there's a specific flow to this event. So it's, it's structured. It's a very feminine event, but it's it's structured so that people, because I know if I take people through a certain series of processes, they're going to get a certain result. So without giving too much away, there's definitely an opportunity to heal any kind of sister women wound. I'm scared of other women. I can't trust women, competitive energy type of thing. There's a massive opportunity to let go of grief. There's a whole process we do around grief, which is huge and so liberating for people, um, especially around any wounding from the mother or father, or, you know, sexual trauma, any of that kind of stuff. Then there's this awesome process where women really step into their warrior and we do an incredible anger release process. Um, and there's opportunities to work with your inner child as well. There's a huge initiation. Um, so it's, it's a combination of really doing the emotional work the mental reframing of beliefs work, the spiritual work, the, 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 what we do on Sunday really connects people to their higher power, their own intuition, whatever that means for them. It's amazing how much I pack in from a Friday to a Sunday. It really is. It's, it's, and the women that are attracted to this event and show up are just so cool. How many did you say can attend something like this? Uh, about a hundred. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. And it still feels, it doesn't feel big. Like you don't get lost. Hmm. Do you have co-facilitators that help? No, but I have a staff. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I I wish I could attend. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Sorry. Yeah. That sounds awesome. And so you're continuing this work now with these live events because of Athena and all the changes and how you want to contribute. Is this something that's going to be regular? Once a year. Once a year. Yeah. So if you want to come, come in October. Yeah. What are the dates on that again? Oh gosh, it's the first weekend in October. What's that? The six, seven, something like that. Yeah, six, seven, eight, something like that. Yeah, and it's just christinehasler.com/slash/signature-retreat. Beautiful. And I'm assuming if they just went to christinehasler.com, they'll find all of the gushy stuff. 
Maybe. Better oh. to go to christinehasser.com slash signature retreat. I'm sure it's there. I haven't been on my own website and I don't even know how long. Yeah. It's beautiful. Whoever's Thank maintaining you. it, it looks great. Yeah, Kim, she does a great job. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So then let's kind of go back into these eras. So you went into this era of now you're you're playing this this business game the way that you want to play it and dipping your toes in all the things and realizing, talking to all your friends in business, that you might actually have the most ideal lifestyle of all of them. Mm-hmm while you're doing too many things right. and not focused, right? <laughs> right? But living a beautiful life. And then you go through this divorce a few years before that, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of reshaping yourself. I'm assuming you're dating while you're doing all this as well. And it was crickets for a while, but there were some there were some in there. Okay, here, here and, and there. there. Yep. And then kind of give me that that preamble story leading into stuff. Oh, well, I did start dating a lot and I was getting very frustrated (laughs) because it was either I'd go after the super charismatic, borderline narcissistic, um, love bomby kind of person and then realized that that was so unhealthy and as a coach, how couldn't I see that coming? Or I'd go after the emotionally unavailable guy where I'd be like amazing, intense and I'd be like, I'm just not ready for a commitment um, or just people that were interested in me, I wasn't interested back in. I was just not having luck dating. And I just felt like, okay, I'm a coach. I've helped so many people find their person. What am I doing? And so I put together this whole program for myself, which eventually turned into a program that Steph and I teach together called Be the Queen, which is a recorded online program. And we also teach it live. So you can do either. Um, but I put myself through my own calling him in program of, like, what do I need to do to really bring in my conscious person? Because swiping through Bumble is not working for me. And it was, it took me, mm, when I got really serious about calling him in, two years. Two years. But everything in that two years, like, led to stuff. And the, the other thing is, and this is, important thing for anyone who's maybe calling in their person I was ready really ready really in a place where I was ready and done the work and in the right place consciousness wise three years before I met Steph however he was not so there was a time where I was just waiting and so I was living my life to the fullest dating having fun because I kind of knew okay I've done done what I needed to do and now it's just about him syncing up and once he did it was instant now were there men in this period of time that were extremely drawn to you but you just knew that they were not him yeah and they wanted to get really serious with you and you were the one that was like "Mm, no yes wow poor guys (laughs) they're fine (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure they're fine (laughs) awesome so then you guys meet Uh uh-huh um what, what was this era like when you started? Because oh, I know you so were texting fun. on WhatsApp a lot. Yeah. And you were introduced by Renee and Akira, uh-huh. right? Was how that mm-hmm. all happened. And yep. you're sending these huge questions back and forth. Yep. And then you discovered that maybe there could be some romance there. Yep. Right? When that physical distance closed and you were finally physically together, what did life start to transform into? Because I know there was a lot of, of moving parts at that point in business for both of you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was so much fun. 
2018 was when we met and that was such a great year. Um, well, the biggest moving part was he wasn't a citizen of the United States. <laughs> so that was a sticking point that we had to figure out. Um, and like you said, we communicated virtually for three months and then met in person in Greece and we moved in together the day we met in person because we had had three months of intense connecting and conversations and video chats and we just really knew each other. So the only thing we didn't know is were we going to be attracted to each other? And we were. And we spent a month traveling Europe together and then came back to the U.S. and tried to figure out how to get him here. And we talked to eight immigration attorneys and they basically said, just get married. And he proposed. So we met July 7th. He proposed September 12th. We got married October 3rd. So this is less than three months. And we had our immigration interview probably four months later, and he got his green card right away. And we were legit. I mean, we were (laughs) a legit couple. A year later, we had an actual wedding in Mykonos where we met. But it was intense because what was the case then is I was in a place in my business and also financially that was way different than where stuff was. And that was very hard for me. And I remember friends pulling me aside and being like, are you going to get a prenup? Because this guy like doesn't bring much to the table. And I was like, no, no, no. But then after we got married, I got really scared. I saw a bunch of attorneys try to get a, a post-nup, which you can get like right after you've been married. That didn't go over well with Steph at all. <laughs> we really like had so many challenges right after we got married. All of our stuff came up and I was like, what have I done? I'm going to get divorced again. And I moved too fast. But we worked our way through it. We really did. That's been our relationship from the start. It's been intense and fast. And once we work through something, though, like we're we're through it. But like I said, the biggest challenge was he didn't fit. Like I always thought I'd be with someone as successful, if not more successful than me. And I was like, is this a deal breaker for me? Am I settling? But the thing that I saw in Steph was, one, he had an incredible work ethic. Two, he didn't like that I was more successful. It wasn't like he was like, oh, this is great. I just landed my sugar mama. Three, he had passion and purpose. Four, knowing his childhood and knowing that happened to him, what happened to him and just knowing his life, he never has had anyone that's really had his back. He's had friends that would punch on with him and like if you need, you know, like he's had those kind of buddies. But when it comes to building his business and stepping fully into his power, He never had anyone that really had his back. So I took all the stuff that I learned from Alison Armstrong and David Data and all the masculine feminine stuff, and I'm like, I'm not going to micromanage him. I'm not going to be his coach. I'm not going to be his mother. I'm going to be his muse, and I'm just going to believe in him and let him try different things and fall on his face and let him figure it out. And I got out of his way, helped introduced him to things, paid for some different things, like helped him kind of get going, but he did it. He did the work. And within, I'd say, six months to a year of us being married, I'm like, ah, I'm not going to have to worry about this. He's got it. And now he's at the point where, like, I can't even believe that he was in debt when we met with what, where he is now in his life. And that was a beautiful um, 
another initiation for me to go through because I'm someone who can get very attached to the way I think things should look. And I had to take a step back and go, what is love? Like, I love this man and he makes me feel so safe. And am I going to ruin something because he doesn't make as much money as I do? Like, that doesn't feel right. And so I really got to let love lead Mm. instead of my mind. So some people would call that um, investing in potential or seeing potential. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about that. It wasn't potential because I saw it in action. I'd see him work. I'd see him put in the hours. Like I'd see him. He just didn't have the right connections and the right people and the right. He just needed a little like help. (laughs) Um, But but most of the help I did was just really believing in him, you know. So I wasn't wearing, I wasn't delusional. And this is where I have to come back to my own intuition and being able to read people. And, and I, I dated guys with potential before. The other thing is my highest value is personal growth and consciousness. I'd much rather have a man that didn't make as much money but was super invested in his consciousness and growth and would like do the work with me and didn't laugh when I talked about a chakra or, you know, wanted to drag him to an NLP seminar who was always a yes for this. Steph is always a yes for anything consciousness, personal development wise. And that mattered more to me. Beautiful. And then what do you see going forward now? So now we're in like current day era, right? So you see you've been re-inspired with Athena mm-hmm. to do this women's work. What, what else going forward? Like, what are you starting to envision or feel or intuit about your future with your business and your friendships? And I, I'd like to dig into that a little bit as yeah. well. Like, cause you know, like we talked about Steph and you come from, you know, actually kind of similar backgrounds, just very different. Like, like if I looked at the foundation or the structure of how you grew up, it's actually, um, from twenties onward, like more similar just the way that I was expressed is really different, but you went through similar challenges, just, you know, radically different expression of it. But what do you see going forward now? I don't really know. Mm. I don't really know. You know, so much of my focus right now is on my child. Um, and there she is. Mm. <laughs> um, And I I feel like I'm a little bit in, not in the weeds, that's the wrong word, but like right now, I'm just trying to get her to sleep. (laughs) Like that's, that's my thing. How do I get my baby to sleep? And because of the last 20 years, I know that if I just keep doing my work and stay open, the universe is going to guide me. And right now isn't the time, like I'm in a season, right now isn't the time to think, what's next business-wise because my focus needs to be right here and I'm letting that be okay. I do feel, I do feel a call. Like I've shared a little bit about my journey. Like, you know, I got pregnant in my forties easily and naturally. And I feel a call to help women kind of back up from that biological clock pressure, chronological age conversation. I definitely feel a call to talk more honestly about motherhood, especially having kids later in life and being used to a certain lifestyle and balancing this huge purpose and mission I feel in the world with my career and work, with motherhood. I hate the word balance. I don't know why I said that. 
it's almost like negotiate. Like how do you harmony? Be, yeah. How, how do you do both? Um, and like what that looks like in a marriage too, because you know, I'm the mother and so there's certain biological drivers I have, but I'm not less passionate about my work than Steph is. You know, we are equally passionate. And so we've really had to navigate. And this was conversations we had before Athena was born. Like I said to him, I'm not wired to be a stay-at-home mom 24-7. Like no judgment on that. I think it's the hardest and most important job in the world. I just know that I would get resentful and I'd feel like I was giving up part of my mission and purpose if I just gave it totally up you know I have to find a way to do both and before Athena was born I had conversations with her we very consciously called her in. I'm like look if you are looking for a mom that spends 24 7 with you I'm probably not her Uh, you will get my attention you will be a priority and there's going to be other people in your life that love you and mommy's going to show you what it looks like to be on your purpose and and have a mission and care deeply about it. And she knows that, you know, she knows that. And I feel like I'm here to help her really step into her purpose and her mission as well. Um, but it's been tricky to also be in a relationship where, you know, Steph, he can leave for two days and doesn't have to worry about breastfeeding. You know, <laughs> Like he can go sleep through the night. I can't. And so we're in different phases, but we do the same thing business-wise. So it's been, because we were talking about biological drivers, right? You were, we were, before we recorded, like the man is wired to provide and work and protect and the woman's more wired to stay home. That might be true biology, but what about consciousness? You know, my, what about like who I am as a person? And I have these biological drives, yes, but I also have like my interests and my identity and all that kind of stuff. So it's a whole, I mean, we could do a podcast just on that because it is a, it's a lot. Mm. It's a lot. I think in six months, it'd be really great to sit down and talk about that in Mm. particular. Yeah. I think that would be phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm lucky I have a a partner who's very involved. I'm lucky that I can work from home. Like Athena's right over there. Mm. I'm lucky that we have incredible people that have come in to support her that she loves and that I trust and that we love having around. Like I'm very, very blessed. That's, that's one of the positives of having a baby later is um, I really got to set up a life that I was ready for her, you know? Did you always know you wanted kids? Yes and no. So since I was little, I love babies, love babysitting, love playing with babies. In my 30s, after my divorce, when I was 34, I froze my eggs because I felt the pressure of the biological clock. Um, didn't end up using them. They're just chilling in Beverly Hills. Who knows what I'll do with them. But I, and people always said, well, you froze your eggs. You must want kids. And I'm like, I, I just want the choice. I don't want to, you know, feel the pressure or beat myself up later. And I'm glad I did it because I honestly think that having those were a safety net and knowing I had them, I didn't settle. I didn't get into a relationship that wasn't the right one. And I didn't feel this pressure, you know, like TikTok pressure. So Steph and I, like, we got together and our life was great. And I was like, do I want a baby? Like, do I really want a baby? And there was that reason of do I want my lifestyle to change. But the main reason, Skip, that I was 
on the fence about becoming a mother is I worry. I'm a worrier. I worry deeply about people that I love. And I've been like that since I was a kid. My parents, when they'd go out to dinner, the babysitter would have to have them call like once an hour and tell me that they were still alive. They didn't die in a car accident. Because I'd just be a nervous wreck that something's going to happen to them. So my main concern with motherhood is, can I handle loving something so much? Can I do it and not be a nervous wreck? Not have so much anxiety and not let that anxiety get in her way. You know, I didn't want to be the mother that's like, don't do that, don't do that, you know, like I didn't want her to feel my anxiety too. So I had to work through a lot of those fears before having her. Mm. Wow. So many questions to go on with that, (laughs) but let me hit you with some rapid fire. Okay, rapid fire. Let let me give a sip of water before we do rapid fire. Take your your water. First rapid fire question. I'm going to go probably through your seven things really quickly, but based on what you've learned, I kind of like to start with like elementum. Mm. This is my questions about this are you've got four partners that are like equal partners in this business, um, not to say legally, but at least financially, right? And you're building it all together and you're building it to build the future of a high caliber of coaches coming out of this program. Because, I mean, you, you can become a coach in many ways, but to go through something as comprehensive as elementum is, is awesome, yeah. right? It's, it's a whole new generation yeah. of coaches coaches right like the one that saved and changed your life dramatically right and I presume that's why part of the reason you're so amazing today as a coach is because of her influence and what she did for you just inspired you oh I yeah her and so many of my other teachers and coaches yeah absolutely so doing that and having a collaborative business like that with so many really powerful individuals what are your top lessons and takeaways for anyone looking to call in good partners for something bigger, something more purposeful? Um, well, we were all at the same level going in. I think that's key. So there was no competition. Um, we were really good friends. We know each other really well. And that can be a plus or a minus. For us, it's been a plus because we have a level of communication. We're all... Um, different in ways we need to be different and aligned in ways we need to be aligned and we had some bumps in the road in the beginning for sure and we just we would just talk it out we really would just come together and talk it out and we use the tools that we teach we do we just use the tools that we teach Um, and I think it's you know we're four people but we're two couples and I think that's a little easier than four solo entrepreneur people because it's really like we're two units working together than four individual people. Um, and Alexi, who's one of my best friends, we're both, she's my dream business partner because we're both Virgos, we're both detail-oriented, and we just work really well. We all work really well together. But I would say the biggest thing is just communication. We don't build resentments. We don't compete. We don't hold things in. We just, we, when stuff comes up, we talk about it. To quote you, there's no bricks. Right. Yeah. Or very few bricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. for sure. And then with the live events, a hundred people and you're the, the singular leader of this event, that, that's huge. That's like, I would not recommend most people try that until they've had <laughs> quite a bit of experience, right? Yeah, it's a lot to hold. And it's deep work. Yeah. What are your biggest lessons on doing things like that? Have a great support staff. Have great volunteers. All the volunteers there and the staff, they've done the work. They've been to the retreat. They're trained. They know what they're doing. I trust them. 
they can help hold the space. They might not be on stage with me, but they are just as crucial. You know, they might not be facilitators, but in so many ways that they, they are. Um, I also have really good energetic boundaries as well. Um, we explain to everyone coming, like I'm not coming down, I'm not hugging everyone because I'm such an empath. I feel everything. I'm a projector. That's my human design. So I'm a splenic processor for anyone who knows what that means. So like I've had to learn that there, I can try to like make everybody happy and like be down there and hug everybody and or I can have my boundaries go back to my room, take a shower and clear my space so I can be in, you know, best service to everyone. So I would say energetic boundaries is a, is a really key thing. And, you know, doing my own work because everything I teach is stuff that I do repeatedly, I can hold the container for it. And it's just, it's, it's reps, Skip. It's like, I've done this a lot and that matters. Yeah. What's your guesstimate on live events? Like how many have you done? I'm like nervous to hear this Well, answer. when I think about how many people I've coached, I mean, I don't even know, thousands and thousands. Um, live events, between doing my own, facilitating the others, I don't even know, hundreds? Reps. Yeah. Yes, reps. Yeah. Now, with your one-on-one coaching, what are the biggest key takeaways? So for this one, maybe more targeted towards people that are already coaches, because I, I would presume... Mm. Cool. Yeah. So if we were to assume that um, from my perspective, because I feel like the answers might be shared with some of those other things yeah. that you were speaking at the highest level that you could speak at, what would be your key like lessons, takeaways from coaching at the level that you do now one-on-one with people? From coaching them or like be, building a business as a coach? Coaching them. Like what do people at the level, because the mm-hmm. people that hire you, yeah. these are high level people. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They're, they're high-level people or they're people that have tried everything else. <laughs> mm. <laughs> they just are like, I've listened to your podcast for years. I know you can help me. I'm just going to bite the bullet, pay the money, sign up. I only work with uh, six people a year. Um, so it's so different because I can think of, you know, people who were coaches, people that are CEOs, moms, you know, I've had so many different one-on-one clients. Even my one-on-one clients now are such a variety I would say the common theme is they've reached a point in their life where they're willing to do anything to have the change they want. They're really willing and ready to roll up their sleeves and do the work. Not just talk about it, not just have awareness, but actually transform. And when they sign up for me, it's such a, it's a big financial and time commitment. And it's like a part of them knows, all right, if I'm signing up for this, like there's no hiding anymore. So then we go to the podcast itself. So it's been a massively successful podcast mm. and people love it, like ra- like cultish, right? Yeah. It's like <laughs> raving fans. What have been your key lessons, takeaways from building that? Just do good work. You know, I started a podcast because I love calling advice shows. My mom used to play Dr. Laura Schlesinger. I think I said that name right. All the time growing up. And I was like, I want my own call-in show. And then through my experience at the University of Santa Monica, when I would see another student get coached by the facilitators, I would learn so much. I'm like, wow, you really learn so much about yourself when you're not the one in the hot seat, when you can watch the transformation happen. It's like being in somebody else's therapy session going, oh my gosh, that's so me. But your defenses aren't up, so you can really get the information. And so I wanted a life coaching podcast, but the best way that I could explain 
what I was teaching is just to do sessions with people. And so when I started, people were like, oh, that's not going to work. And technically how it's going to work. And people aren't going to listen to someone's session. And it's not snazzy enough. And you need to edit it. I'm like, no. Everybody told me that I needed a funnel. And I didn't. And I seem to be doing just fine. So I'm going to do this the way I want to do it. And so that's what I've been doing. I think it came out in 2015. And I coach people live on the air. And, it, and then I explain how, what I did. And I love it. And it's helped so many people. And I am so grateful to the 360 people who've come on and shared, you know, really vulnerable stuff with me and the audience because they're helping so many people. And I'm always amazed. People use their real name. You know, they share super personal stuff. It's, it's the caliber of people that come on and, and share. It's just beautiful. So I guess the lesson would be listen to your intuition. Create the show or the content or whatever that you want to create. That seems to be an overarching theme of For you. Sure. Which brings me to my kind of like final two points here. Um, and thank you so much. This has been like so awesome. And I, I'm pretty sure we're way over time. I have no idea where we're at, but no this is great. So the the thing that I really picked up on when I was doing my research for this was this idea, if, if I gave you one word based on everything I've consumed and everything I've seen and listened to on your show is like the word alignment mm. is very much the same, the, kind of the thing I feel around you mm. and the thing I feel around a lot of your content, which isn't necessarily something you say a lot, but you're always talking about it. You're always Athena. <laughs> and I'll, I'd say this whole interview is really about alignment. It's from the early days when you were super out of alignment, but needed mm -hmm. to explore. And it was perfect for you at that time so that you could hit the wall so that you could break down some bricks so that you could discover that there were bricks to begin with so that you could start to pick them up so you could start to throw them at things. <laughs> <laughs> and then you could eventually build this epic life that you have now and be so comfortable with new bricks that show up all the time with all of the tools that you now teach and work with to just continue to know that it's an endless thing and there's always more layers, but you're just, like you said in the beginning, like so comfortable with it all. Mm -hmm. So if I were to selfily or selfishly want to listen to something for like 60 seconds, that was just a Christine Hassler rant on alignment, just like something that was like, like, for me, when I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about like probably the energy you have when you see Athena walk by like that, mm. or when you wake up in the morning, even if you're super tired and you like see her and you see Steph with her holding her giggling or something like that. And she's developing all these new traits like mm -hmm. every week, every day, every, every month, of course. Right. When you see that and you think about like the future of your life with her, the future of your life with Steph, the future of your life in this home or another home or just your life in general and the beautiful life you've created and, and everything that's going to happen in the future. If you were to give us all like a little 60 second, yeah, monologue on alignment that we could listen to, something that would really inspire us to seek out our own alignment and to know what that would feel like and just to lean into that, something that we could listen to on a regular basis what do you think that would sound like? So you want me to give you a 60 second rant <laughs> yes. right now, basically? Yes, please. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> Too bad I couldn't take cold medicine. 
Um, and you can laugh. Oh no, whatever. no. I it might not be sixty seconds, but I'll just I'll I'll just see what I'm feeling. People need to hear. The first thing I'm feeling is, you haven't done anything wrong. And there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. And please don't look at personal development or doing your work as a self improvement project. Have it come from a place of you want to feel lighter. You want to feel more you. Don't come at it as there's this thing in me I need to fix. There's this thing in me I don't like. And so if I take this course or if I do this thing, or if I hire this coach, then they'll fix the thing or I'll fix the thing that's broken inside of me and then I'll have what you want. It's not how it works because if you do it that way, then you're going to reinforce the misunderstanding that you're broken. So you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. You are enough. You're not too much. You're not too little. You're not any of that. You're just a freaking human being who's had his or her struggles in the world. And part of what the whole deal is with being human is we're here to learn and grow. So that's how you look at self-improvement. Not as I'm broken, I need fixing, but I'm human. And so I'm doing this thing just like I drink water or I'm getting to get dehydrated. I'm choosing the personal development path because it's just part of being human. Beautiful. And is that Steph? Did he just walk by? I hope so. I don't know who else would be here. Oh, yeah. I think that's him. Babe? If you were to have like a, a, what's the internal monologue for you in hard situations that you go back to uh, for the family, for the relationship? What's the internal monologue I uh, I go to? Well, let's say you're in like a really uh, tense situation. Like giving birth? (laughs) Uh, No, no, no. Not giving birth. But let's say like you're really tired one day and you and Steph are like at odds, Uh I'm assuming based on everything you're telling me that there's probably some like internal phrases that you repeat to yourself that help you stay peaceful, loving, and calm. Mm, Yeah. And sometimes I'm not. (laughs) Sometimes phrases like, he's wrong, I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) And why does he do that? Yeah. Um, One that I really use a lot is what would love to. That's one that gets me there. What would love to? Or how do I want to feel right now? Or what do I need? Because if I'm triggered or if I'm in that, there's usually an unmet need. So usually it's questions because mantras have never really worked for me, but questions inspire something in me of like, oh, okay, I can, I can entertain that question. Otherwise it just feels like words. Beautiful. When people fall in love with you after listening to this, what's like your top recommendations for where they go to digitally stalk you and learn so much more about you. Well, I need to start posting on Instagram again. So that's one place, but I would say the podcast that's, you know, my probably, I love everything that I do, but the podcast has a very special place in my heart. It's probably one of my most favorite things I've created over it and on with it, over it and on with it. Yep. And then for the retreat, christinehasser.com slash signature retreat. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for the great conversation. Yeah. I feel like the entire generation of children being raised by right now by like amazing dads. What is going to happen in the world? Seriously, there's like so many incredible dads and that is, that's not a thing in the past for I think the entirety of human civilization. Yeah. What's gonna be so different? I tell you what, man. I mean, 
the generational healing that's taking place just for me personally, right? And how it's prompting me to show up for this little one. Hello, darling. Um, is phenomenal. Just how she is. Just observing with her. And, and you know, I, to give all, all credit, a lot of credit to Christine. Never forcing or pushing, but really strongly recommending and reminding me that this is a time that, you know, we won't get back. You don't need to go back to your productivity or your busyness or whatever it is that you you, know, you need to do. Not that those things aren't important. They are important, aren't they? But are they really more important than this connection? And and honestly, man, I mean, the, 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 hello. I can't, I just can't with her. She's just so captivating and so mesmerizing. And there's, like, there's not a day that goes by where, where tears don't roll down my cheek in such deep gratitude and appreciation for who she is but also like this sadness that she's growing up so quickly and she's just <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> what are you doing and, and 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 you know developmentally she's just expanding rapidly right and so there's this sense that you know and i and i some part of me sometimes projects and thinks oh she's going to be 18 soon and going to leave you know she's going to leave the house and and, and i'm already i'm That's already like going there didn't come yeah, out yeah oh, big time yeah i'm already going there 17 years early yeah 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 i'm preparing for it i'm grieving it now and i'm yeah. mourning it now am i not huh uh, what else yeah it's going to be a really different world a really different world very very different and and I hear you when you say that because I, I, I think that, you know, the, the the there are more active parents now in the world that are really dedicated and committed to raising more conscious children. In other words, being available for their children. And what I mean by that is I'm not just talking about physical availability, but I'm talking about choosing to work through their emotional pain, their emotional stuff, their the, the disconnect they felt in their lives, like actually dealing with their trauma, right? And working with their shadows, which is something that I'm committed to and I'm committed to celebrating life as well. That's something that my parents didn't do too well, man. They didn't work with their shadows and they didn't celebrate life. Mm. There was a lot of pain and, and, and disharmony and just sadness in my household, like melancholy, you know? And, and so I want to really celebrate life. I want to celebrate life. And in order to do that, I think fully, we have to create spaciousness in our lives and, and really allow ourselves to come into deeper communion with all the parts of ourselves. That includes the inconvenient, uncomfortable parts. Mm. Yeah, Christine said something that was really fascinating where she fully communicates with Athena. Yeah. Like she communicates everything with her. Yeah, like, super cute. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's adorable. Like she's crying and she's like, you know, mommy's sad and she's crying, but it's okay. It's not your fault. You don't have to make me feel better. No. Just, this is where I'm at. I'm like, oh. She's just, I can't, man. She's just so gorgeous. Just everything she does is just so cute. So I just, I care for her so deeply and I, I'm just mesmerized by her. Um, just the way, seeing the way she sees the world, or at least my perception of that. Mm. Are you going to be into gear too? Oh. <gasps> Am I going to teach you all about gear? Yeah, Uncle Skip will teach you everything about the gear. <laughs> Not the steroids. <laughs> <laughs> this type of gear. Electronic gear. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> she's stronger than... Yeah, she's your child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's, that's another thing. Like She's just getting stronger. Well, I didn't expect her to, do, to be able to even do that. I mean, I guess, okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hey everybody, if you loved this episode, if you haven't already, please rate, review, subscribe to whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. Helps a lot of other people find the show and I would really deeply appreciate it. Thank you so much.